0: Today's topic is the HDBI story with my friend, Chuck Wallace. How's it going, Chuck? It's going great. Thanks for having me on. We, uh, we really appreciate it. I'm excited to talk to you about this topic. So uh, Chuck, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today.
1: So I'm Chuck Wallace. I am the CEO and one of the co-founders of High Definition Vehicle Insurance, (HDVI). talking to you from the Bay Area in San Francisco, which is where I'm located. So HTVI, just a bit on HTVI to to set it up is, uh, you know, we are rebuilding a commercial vehicle insurance company focused on technology and data and really integrating that into everything we do. And we are initially focused within the commercial vehicle insurance market on. The heavy-duty eighteen-wheeler trucks. So, thus, we serve the transportation and logistics industry with with our innovative insurance. And so, that is HDVI in a nutshell. And uh, you know, we we were started for both opportunistic reasons and mission-driven reasons. Right? There is a lot of room for for improvement and innovation in commercial auto insurance. We see a lot of it in personal lines insurance, from the Geicos and the Progressive's and the 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 Insurance, one of my old companies, and such. But there hasn't been any real innovation in commercial auto insurance in decades, and there's a lot of room for improvement. And on the flip side, for the fleets that we serve, they pay a lot of money for insurance. They don't get a lot for it and traditionally haven't. They haven't seen any real innovation in that product or additional service or or offerings literally in decades. They're still buying the same insurance they were. Fifty years ago.
0: Yep, and I'm excited to have this conversation. And guys, I know some of you are going, "Oh, insurance! I don't want to hear about insurance. <laughs> Who cares?" You should care because the the improvements we've seen with technology across our whole space, whether you're a freight brokerage or a carrier or a 3PL, we're seeing those, and they come from technology. They come from data analytics, and I think also we're all looking for an advantage. This is an advantage. I mean, I think. Uh, what you say? Three four percent of cost of running a truck is insurance, and not all insurance is created equal. And um, I think we are also, in in addition to looking for opportunities to improve, we all have to worry about these nuclear verdicts. Now, I just said to Chuck, I haven't seen one in the newspaper in the in the press lately, but my friends over at Freight Waves seemingly post every once in a while about this horrific nuclear verdict and. I feel so bad for everyone involved in that. What we all want to do is avoid that, and that's another reason we need to understand our insurance better. So right. we'll get into that in just a minute. But Chuck, first tell us a little bit about you. By the way, guys, Chuck is a kind of a kind of a big deal because he invented been a com- or created a company that a lot of us have heard of. So interested to learn your story. Chuck, where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started HDVI.
1: Right. Yeah. So um, thanks. So I grew up in central Connecticut, outside of Hartford, up in the quiet part of the state. and uh, grew up there for 18 years. And then I was fortunate enough, I really wanted to uh, be in the military and fly. I kind of got a bug to do that when I was 14 or 15. So Whoa. I was fortunate enough. Yeah. So I was fortunate enough to get into the Air Force Academy. And I went off to school at the Air Force Academy out in Colorado Springs. So that's where I went to college. And then I was fortunate enough from the Air Force Academy to get into pilot training. And then I went to pilot training in West Texas out in Lubbock. You know, I graduated from, from the Air Force Academy in 86. And then from 86 to 91, I was in Lubbock, Texas, first as a student pilot. And then they kept me on to, I uh, mean, a lot of my classmates on to teach other people how to fly as instructor pilots. So that's where I spent the first uh, five or six years of my flying Very career cool. in the military then i I got wait, right wait a right sec you can't leave yeah. that
0: without me asking did you see Top Gun?
1: yeah, I saw Top Gun, and the timing could not have been better because Top Gun the first version came out in nineteen eighty six which is it came out virtually like the month that I was graduating from the Academy. What
0: did you think of it i mean was that i mean this this was the drama part of it was it pretty realistic? Yeah, it was it's
1: it's pretty realistic. I mean, yeah, you know, there's no, you don't fly around in uh, high performance fighters with your mask down and yakking away at your friends all the time, but uh, but it was pretty it was realistic. There's no
0: horseplay. <laughs> yeah, they, well, there's
1: plenty of horseplay, but it's it's of of different kinds with the aircraft. Uh, and they they showed that too, but he, overall, overall was great it was great for the military uh it was very entertaining and the uh, second one was equally so i think they really knocked the cover off the ball with the second top gun that, that I have not seen out. it
0: yet i was supposed to see it with uh, my nephew yeah. and my uh, brother-in-law and i missed it but i will see it soon
1: yeah so anyway going you know and there's a little bit more on the military story and then um but anyway, the the bottom line on you know, that was basically it was great timing because uh because it was great to have talked. Everybody thought that was pretty cool. So I was I was fortunate enough to do that. And then from ninety one to ninety-three, I um was able to fly C one I got the opportunity to fly C one thirties over in Germany. And I went over to Germany to do that for for two years. Back what are what 90s. are C one
0: thirties? I don't so even know. So C1 what those
1: are. yeah, C one thirties are combat transport aircraft so what does that mean that means they're about the size of a 737 or a small a small full-size airliner 737 something like that they have four four propeller driven engines they can carry about 70 combat ready troops a couple of uh, vehicles road graders all kinds of stuff five or six pallets and what they are built to do is serve the army and the special forces and the marines and they can fly stuff you know Thousands of miles. They can also go and do uh, landings on dirt strips in the middle of combat zones,
0: and they drop paratroopers. Where were you flying back and forth? Through? A lot of
1: interesting stuff in in, in Europe. Bosnia was very very it was the hot part of the world there in Sarajevo. So we did a lot of missions into there, and then into Africa and such. Some of which I can talk about. Some of which I can't. But uh, it was a great uh, it was a great experience. And that was really you could say that was my first logistics experience, really, right? Because that was military logistics. We hauled stuff and people, and we delivered in really tough circumstances. It was very satisfying.
0: Yeah, I don't say it enough on my podcast, but logistics was invented by military guys. I mean, in, in and if you go back to even the Roman battles, there were battles won and lost on logistics. And I remember one in particular, I was in Vegas at a conference, and I remember watching this where they talked about the Romans as they moved to Germ- Germania, <laughs> Germania where and they were... Most of their rations were wine and olive oil and, I think, some sort of bread. And, of course, it's the further you get from Italy and the more you get into Northern Europe, the harder it is to get that stuff. <laughs> and, and and they talked about bumping into the beer-drinking barbarians. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, this one guy, Joe, loves olive <laughs> oil and a little red wine. And then I come up against these barbarians drinking beer. It doesn't seem like a fair fi- fight. but yeah. <laughs> and in our space, there are—I think—if there's one place where military guys very often go. In fact, I just talked to somebody from Flexport who was from the Air Force. Also, it is—they uh, invented it. And they do it the best because it's one thing to say I delivered to that dock on time. It's a whole other thing to say I delivered to that airstrip on time, and they were shooting at me. <laughs> and by the way, my—the guys I'm giving it to are on the move. So this—this this much higher, harder biz.
1: Yep, certainly logistics chains and everything are what what you hear about when 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 things go well and when things don't go well and, and, and armies start to unwind and the conflict over in uh, the Ukraine right now the Russians have oh, certainly yeah. struggled with their logistics train and, and and they're paying a price for it and, and other things that they've done but
0: nobody uh, wants to help them but if there was uh they need some logistics help over there yeah so uh so over
1: to Europe and then and then I and then I went to grad school in '93 in I wanted to really I really had caught the on entre- where'd you go. So I went to I went to grad school in, in my transition out of the military, like a lot of junior military officers, I was a captain at the time. It's through grad school, I went to I went to Wharton and uh, University of Pennsylvania. Nice. I started in law school, thought I wanted to be a lawyer, and then quickly discovered there was the business school across the way too with Wharton, and so I turned it into a JD MBA. And there, I really, really caught the wow. high tech the kind of a high-tech entrepreneurial bug and, and, and as I was going through grad school, like the only thing I wanted to do when I got out was, you know, be involved in an early stage company somewhere. wasn't exactly sure the industry uh, or what, but I wanted to be involved in early stage company building.
0: So what was the first, what was the first stop?
1: Yeah. So the first stop was, a, was a small company uh, in, in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina that I got introduced in grad school. Um, was there for a year and then it was really all my friends were saying hey if you want to be involved in e-commerce which is really what i wanted to do that was not an e-commerce centric company but this you know brings you to like 98 99 i really wanted to be involved in e-commerce had a lot of friends in the northern california area so i uh i rented out my house i, I loaded up my car and i drove to uh california i slept on my friend's couch in early 99 started networking around for opportunities and the in the best opportunity that i networked my way into were a couple of folks who uh, had insurance in their background and wanted to start a uh, online centric uh, personal auto insurance company so i did my due diligence we worked together for a few months like you know founding stories often are and then uh, joined the founding team and off we went and started insurance together so uh, that's the insurance Whoa. kind of fa- story and uh there were five of us as co-founders i was one of them uh, i was a large pretty large co-founding team but we started in 99 and um you know, along the way, people people came and went, and, and the other the other founders left after a couple of years. And, and eight years later, I was the only one left, and was was very proud and fortunate to be part of a team. I built a, built a company from nothing into about a billion dollar business. As I was leaving. I was never the CEO there. That was people who had. More I'd rather be Tolman. the founder. Yeah. <laughs> well, both are good. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be to be one of both at, uh, at HDVI. But a fellow by the name of Gary Tolman who was the one who was the long term CEO, and I uh, really learned a lot from him on uh, how to build companies, how to build insurance companies, and uh, it served me really well as we've uh, as we've gone on to launch HDVI here many years later.
0: Right. So before you t- go to jump to that. You know, when, when I'm a big football fan, so I'm watching football usually on Saturday, watching the college games. But what's crazy to me is when I watch those games, there's, there's commercials. They used to be all, at one time when I was young, cigarette commercials and beer commercials. Now they've seemed to transition and was stockbrokers for a long time, Merrill Lynch and Payne Weber. And now it feels like it, besides a few mobile phone things, it seems like it's virtually all insurance companies. Yeah, whether it's flow, or the gecko. I mean, I counted the other day, I think there's six or seven companies that are almost omnipresent in that space. Why is that? Why is it? And what what I've kind of concluded, and you tell me if I'm wrong, is that there's no advantage to some to, to one over another in some regards, and that they have to sell you some other way, besides the the value of what you're getting.
1: Yeah. So I'll, 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 I'll try to answer it and keep it short, but there's a clear <laughs> answer. So one is it's a massive industry, right? Personal auto insurance by itself is like a $250 billion industry. So it is a huge industry, right?
0: Co- contrast that with trucking. How, much, how big is the trucking?
1: Yeah. So commercial, commercial auto insurance, right, contrasted to personal lines auto insurance. Commercial auto insurance is about a $55 billion business in the United States um, and about a $1.3 trillion business worldwide commercial auto trucking the trucking component of that because commercial auto is everything from taxis to heavy duty trucks and everything in between last mile delivery sprinter vans all of that the the, the trucking part of that is about two is about 20 to 25 billion of uh, of insurance right and that's that's first dollar insurance that's that's uh, companies that are buying insurance from from folks like us uh not the big mega folks who are self-insuring so that's that's actual addressable market so it's sizable but back to your question it's it's a huge market for personal auto and like you said, it's highly commoditized now, and so the way that you get an advantage is you know you have to have a company that's got competitive prices and you got to give good service and you got to do the claims right in personal auto, but it's establishing some kind of brand awareness with a gecko or flow or insurance had air in insurance in the early days and then switch to switch its 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 theme a little bit here and there and and now is under all state so uh, that's how you actually you know, resonate with the consumers as you you make that kind of connection, and they spent a lot of money to do it. Oh
0: my God, did they ever! So yeah. So what was next after you exited exited insurance? Yeah,
1: you know, as insurance was getting larger, I, I you know I, I wanted to um, get back into earlier stage companies. When I left, it was seven eight hundred million dollars in premium, a couple thousand employees, ten or eleven offices across the country. Uh, so so I I left, and um you know I was in uh. Very, two or three different earlier stage companies, not insurance related. I wanted to try to do some different stuff. Uh, but then really what led into the HDVI story was in 2013, I was fortunate enough to uh, join and work for Tejo Cote, who was one of the co-founders, his co-founder, Jerry Automatic Labs, which built a, a connected device for personal cars. So it is a device that you plug into the OBD port of a personal auto and make that auto uh, you know a node on the internet of things really connect that auto to the internet of things and to your phone so you could start getting data off of it how are you driving how is your mileage and then you can use that for insurance which is why they got me involved because you know monetizing that kind of technology through insurance solves one of the big monetization paths uh, and such so through that role And then ultimately Sirius XM bought that company uh, for a nice outcome uh, two or three years later, which was which was good. And I really got immersed in connected vehicle technology and even more than that, just greater the greater world of innovative mobility. Autonomous, Autonomous vehicle technology that was coming online or being developed still is. Uh, onboard uh, advanced uh, safety systems, as, otherwise uh, as systems, um, all the things you see with the automatic braking and lane change technology that's really starting to accelerate and so on and so forth, electric vehicles. I really got immersed in that whole world through there and, and did that for two or three years and then had a couple of uh, consulting uh, in, in, in jobs with connected vehicle platforms and such. And then I met my co-founder Reed in 2017 and, and HDVI is really his initial core idea. And so I can wrap up the rest of the the founding story here really quick, which is, you know, Reed Spitz, um, a very, very capable uh, young graduate from Stanford with a couple of degrees out of Stanford. Nice. And went from gone from Stanford to uh, work for Joe Lonsdale at AVC, one of our current investors. And and he
0: that's auto tech ventures. And I just interviewed uh, Barack from there.
1: Yeah, that's AV. That's that's Autotech Ventures. 8VC is a separate.
0: Oh, oh 8VC. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. It's
1: easy to get them. It's easy to I'm get going. Across, I'm so. going
0: to interview. You're going to introduce yeah. me to the 8VC guys because they were – I want them to be on my podcast. They're an investor in a lot of logistics and operations. Like they are investors in, in a lot.
1: And so Reed, as a young associate there, really because they were one of the leaders and the leader, really, in investing in innovative freight and logistics, we'll be back before it was uh, it was really popular to do so, which is the time to start. Reed really got immersed in that through ABC. And they also did some insure tech investing that was successful that Reed was involved in. So he's got that little bit of insure tech in him, a lot of logistics, a little bit of innovative mobility. And he left ABC um, with Joe Lonsdale, who is the head of ABC's support, to go out and start a company, which young associates will often do. They want to be entrepreneurs. And so he went out to start a company and he really dove deep into the logistics and freight space and asked the question of freight companies and everybody else out there and, and, and trucking companies, what is the industry need that's not being provided now? And there are already a number of digital freight brokers that are great, but it had all along been started and been well funded, freight factoring companies, same thing. But what hadn't been addressed was this insurance problem that everybody said, hey, listen, it's very expensive. We don't get much for our money other than basic insurance, gets more expensive every year. The insurance industry on the flip side of that, as the provider um, has really struggled with profitability and such. And Reed said, this is the opportunity. This is where it's at. This is a company to build in the space. And he found me through our network. He, you know, he started with that theme, and people said, "Hey, if you're going to think about starting a company like this, you should talk to Chuck. He's got a complementary background." And so, to keep it short, you know, through 2017, we got to know each other, and then we really dove in in the fall of 2017 on due diligence together, and we started the company formally. We incorporated in uh, in March of 2018. And, off and running, and and here we are now. So uh, almost five years later.
0: Yeah, and I know you're based in the Bay Area, but Mm -hmm. uh, your company is based in Chicagoland, right? Right, based in Chicagoland. And you got offices other places in the country?
1: Yeah, so we're, we're based in Chicago. We have offices in Greenville, South Carolina, where our insurance team is located or significantly located. We have an office in uh, central Ohio in the Columbus area where we have insurance folks as well. We have an office in the Dallas-Austin corridor down in Texas where we've got folks and such. So, And we've got some folks up in Cleveland as well. It was a very, very intentional um, decision to go with Chicago as the, as the founding um, city for the company. We wanted good engineering talent, and they have that there. We wanted some place that was in the middle of the freight and logistics. Industry and certainly Chicago, just that whole area is a big hub for freight and logistics. It's also got a lot of insurance and financial services companies, both old school, you know, both incumbent and innovative. And so, you want. You, know, you want to be able to tap those folks as well. And it was a great decision. we've We've had great success. We love Chicago. We've got a number of folks there, fairly centric around our tech team and product and and software product teams. but that was a that was a great decision. We're very happy to do it. And so, and then we've expanded from there as we built the company. So that's our that's our kind of footprint and why why we started in
0: Chicago and so let me ask a question, and I think you kind of started to answer, it, but I want to make sure we're clear on it. So you guys saw a hole in the market. So I want to understand what that hole in the market. and what what I think, based on your success at insurance, you know, oh, I'll go back 20 years ago. If you were going to get insurance, you probably didn't go online to get it. You had, you know, you called State Farm or um, All State. There was no insurance. There was nothing like that. You, you worked with the traditional companies and they some of them, State Farm only had State Farm, but then there was independent insurance companies that have few, but everybody had an insurance guy. And I was joking with you prior to our call that seems less and less like a thing. Like, And by the way, people tended to have insurance for 30 years at a time. And one, one of the stats I think has been out there for a long time is if you were the same insurance company for 30 years, you're probably paying more than the guy who just got the insurance. So that was the old way. And then companies like eSurance, and I know they're not the only one, but this one you know about, came in and said, hey, this doesn't have to be this lumbering beast business with a ton of agents. We can do this online and we can do it less expensively and give people the tech-based experience that we find that we want everywhere now, but it was new then. So is that what you wanted to do here? So
1: a a little bit different. Certainly the, the theme that flows through both is innovating significantly with technology, right? We did that through the online technology, which was shiny and new at the time. we started insurance and focusing on distribution initially with them and then product but 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 here the play is a little different still powered by data and technology right so commercial auto insurance is not commoditized really uh it has not been significantly commoditized yet it hasn't innovated uh either so there's really an opportunity to to really improve in commercial auto so you know, it hasn't changed. I said and when that you before, say commercial uh,
0: auto, that includes trucks, right? That
1: <laughs> includes trucks, water. right. So let's just focus on trucking insurance. So this is a logistics uh, logistics podcast. So trucking insurance really hasn't seen innovation, right? And the trucking insurance companies haven't, have not not made money in a long, long time. And a, and a main reason for that is they really struggle to use the data that's the modern data and technology that's available to get their head around the risk and get their arms around the risk in partnership with the insureds. To provide better insurance, you know, holistically. So, so there, that is the, that is the big hole that Reed initially and then both of us saw is there's a tremendous amount of room for innovation in this, in in this insurance product, which is, you know, quite different than personal lines auto insurance. And and the incumbents know that we we interviewed a bunch of them and they all said hey this idea that you have Reed and Chuck and what you want to do with a, a new trucking insurance company we, you know we agree with that we think that's the way to go but we know it's going to be very very hard for us to do it ourselves we talk about doing it we talk about it in our strategic you know planning sessions we talk about it in the lunchroom. but we have other we have other more immediate priorities on, on our established book of business so it's very hard for us to, to invest in in, in in deep deep innovation. Right. So it's probably going to come from a company like yours, which is de novo and can start from fresh. Right. On the flip side of it, again, like, uh, like we were saying pre- previously, the fleets, on the other hand, you know, those are very, very tough com- companies to run. They're very challenging businesses to run. They're low margin. They pay a lot of money for their insurance. You know, your average fleet of 30 to 50 vehicles is paying $10,000 a truck, a truck for their insurance policies. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have policies that are anywhere from, you know, 50, $60,000 up to a million dollars and such. And those are competitively priced policies. So it's very, very expensive. And again, you know, they, they, don't, they don't get a lot of extra value from it with traditional insurance companies. So there's just a lot of room for improvement on the insurance company side of it. And there's a lot of an improvement to bring better service and in, in everything else and savings and safety too the uh to the to the freight companies that that are buying the insurance and again everybody knows insurance is something you have to buy you don't have a choice right you know there's a lot of things you don't have to buy as a trucking company and you don't have to invest in but you gotta buy insurance and so it's important to have an option that really brings value so anyway that was the opportunity and you know as far as the distribution Distribution in in commercial uh, and trucking insurance is, is different depending on the on the size of the fleet. Small, very small fleets, onesies, twosies, uh, buy a lot of their their insurance still through agents. Agents are a big player in the space; they're not going away. We work with agents, and we focus on that, and we work really well with them. Some some of the small companies buy direct. Uh, small onesies, twosies, uh, uh, owner operators buy direct. But then when you get into you know five up to and beyond that five five vehicle fleets and beyond and trucking insurance, they almost all buy through. Uh, Um, through insurance agents and brokers they're an important part of the ecosystem we work very closely with them we have a lot of respect for them we have great partnerships with them they're not going away right um anytime soon
0: but i think that story the story you're telling though is kind of very consistent in our space not so long ago there was warehousing guys who might be have the experience and the expertise to be that operator and that you trusted them with your stuff but they weren't tech guys right and and then the tech guys started developing software over the last 20 years, but they didn't have the long experience or expertise in the space. So we have kind of that the operators and the tech. And I think more and more we're seeing the integration of those. And we saw that in warehousing. We've seen it in freight brokerage. And again, there's a lot of people who are in their 40s, 50s, 60s and who said, I grew up doing it this way. And I know technology is important, but am I the guy to lead this into the digital transformation Maybe not. Maybe I should retire. Let the next guy do it. <laughs> and the same goes for, you mentioned factoring. Not so long ago, and factoring is an important part of this business. I don't know how much of that has gone tech, You know, using tech platforms, but it seems like there's a lot of investing. And I've talked to a few guys on the podcast about the new venture capitalist investments usually means there's an opportunity. So it tells me there's old factorers who probably are saying, hey, uh, Chuck, could you sign that piece of paper and fax it over to me or attach it to an email and we'll get busy. And then there's the new guys who say, we'll integrate to your transportation management system. And we have a digital platform that's going to streamline this process. We're used to that in this business, this transformation. I think what we're also used to is if I need to improve something, I'm going to have to put a head on it for now. And I'm going to put a programmer on it. And next year, it's not going to need that head. And we're, be- we're going to have to become more technologists and data scientists. And the same applies to what you're talking about. So I know I just was pontificating here, but is that, is that, am I, I hit? Yeah, I think, it's a, I think it's, a,
1: it's, a, it's a point well made about logistics and, uh, and transportation in general and the evolution of technology and data. And then how you can apply that as an insurance company and how that fits into us building our company. So, again, you know, in freight logistics, as you, you quite clearly said and well said, they've really started to adopt in an accelerated rate. The fact that, you know, data is going to be a big part of digital data is going to be a big part of their business. How do they use it? How do they leverage it? And other technologies like telematics, for instance, is, is very applicable to HDVI because we integrate with the telematics on the uh, on the vehicles. That's both uh, ELD devices, right, that are mandated for most fleets by federal law and have been for several years now, and advanced camera technology that really helps in a lot of different ways. So those are a couple of the different flavors of technology and data. So you know, you you really couldn't build an HDVI maybe ten years ago, right? Because the freight and logistics industry was not as used to data, digital data, right. you know, data flow between companies and, and, and such. And, and now they're much more used to it. And so there's an opportunity to really leverage it. And the technology has improved significantly, and the data has improved significantly, really even over the last five or six years, telematics technology and the data that comes from it. So there's really an opportunity now to partner with a fleet as an insurance company, right? To be able to work with them with the data coming off of the ELDs and the cameras, right? To shape our insurance product, right? help them understand what that data is telling them about their safety and the impact of how they're driving on their insurance, and also structure an insurance product, which is HDVI Shift. That's what we call our our proprietary insurance product, which is really one of a kind, and incense the fleets to be safer because we lower the cost of their insurance within the life of the policy. right? So we wrap it all together. It's not just about scratching the surface. We wrap this all together, right, in the products that we bring to market, the, the data that we um, share back with the um, the companies in a partnership with them, help them look at how they're driving, make themselves safer so that they can take full advantage of the discounts that we offer in the life of the policy and earn all of that 12% discount, right? And I can go through an example of how shift works if you'd like, but that's, that's a big part of what we do. All
0: right. And before you get into that example, you know, it's interesting. I think ELD mandates came in like 2019. I know they're staggered dif- depending on some people had some... Right. exemptions from it. and I remember I did a number of training webinars on it uh, for some companies and a lot of times people would ask questions and say things along the lines of I'm not doing it there was this kind of this real reluctance and by the way it usually won't hear me saying thank god the government came in and did this but right look at the the innovation that has come from the ELD Project 44 uses a lot of that. Now, we used to have MacroPoint, and we still do, I guess, and we've had um, four kites. We always had those. I guess we always had our mobile phones with us, but that's less than perfect. Getting that ELD mandate of as much as we didn't want it to happen, as much as we gnashed our teeth about it, it's really spurned a digital revolution in this business.
1: Yeah, I think it certainly has accelerated accelerated um, adoption of, of- data and tech and
0: and such. So give me that case study, the old way and then the new way, which is your way with how you might insure a trucking company.
1: Yeah, traditional, you know, trucking insurance is – you know, trucking insurance companies use the same data—very, very, very, you know, not very precise data—that they get from some kind of old-school data sources. That doesn't give them a really good view of the risk. And because they don't have a really good view of the risk, individual companies they kind of price everybody in this,
0: um, you know, kind of rough,
1: high-level way. Well, you got to
0: go. You got to go higher because you don't want to take a chance. If I don't understand the risk, I got to go a little high.
1: Yeah, and the, in, in typical market dynamics, the, the the folks who are safer and better fleets out there end up subsidizing the folks who are not as safe. Right, because they just don't have that that fidelity and everything in, in, in the way that they can price. They just really struggle to get their arms around the risk, both from a pricing, underwriting, and, and, and servicing standpoint. Right, our our way is much more advanced, and it brings a lot of value to the fleets. Right. So, so HDVI shift, I'll use an example of a half a million dollar a year policy, a trucking insurance policies are all annual policies pretty much. Right. So so say a fleet of 50, uh, 50 vehicles or so, that's going to be about a half a million dollar policy. So. So 10,000 a a truck, you said, right? Yeah. About About. $10,000 a truck in this example. So let's use an example of a policy that's effective January 1st, right? An annual policy. So, um, as we start to, as that policy goes into effect, Right, we're working with the fleets, um, with the data coming off the ELD and cameras, to to actually help the fleets understand how their drivers are driving, which drivers are driving safer, which ones could use some improvement and some additional coaching, right? And we bring that information back to them in partnership with them almost immediately uh, in that first month. The benefit to them is they can work with their drivers to make them safer. Everybody wants that. The drivers want that, and the fleets want that generally, and with with hdbi shift you can earn into a 12% discount within the life of the policy so 12% discount on a half a million dollar policy is $60,000 savings within that first year not at the end of the year upon renewal if you did well maybe we'll give you a discount maybe we won't or maybe we won't raise your price as much which is kind of traditional insurance right but within the life of the policy and immediately which is game changing there's nobody else out there in, in, in trucking insurance or commercial auto that really does that and it's been in, in, in most notably for fleets so that first at the end of that first month we'll adjust your premium payment for that month's premium um down if you become safer and so on through the life of the policy so we're really working in partnership with you through our integration of technology and data into our product and and, and such. And and we're not just say, hey, figure it out for yourself and maybe it'll show up in your premium. We're bringing that data back to you in our fleet portal and our driver app so you understand what's going on and we're quite transparent with it. We want you as a fleet to earn every bit of that 12% discount. It's better for us, means you're safer, less likely to get into accidents, will cost us less, and loss costs, right? And such. And it's much better for you too. You're saving money and, and you're being safer and your your drivers are happier.
0: How are you monitoring that? I know you're getting data, but do you connect to an ELD for a given truck and how does that work?
1: We do that. We, we do that in a seamless way that doesn't create any additional work for the fleets um, through the ELD providers that we've integrated with, top ELD providers and some other third-party providers that we integrate with. So with with the fleet's permission, obviously, You know, they know that's part of the, that's part of the value proposition. Um, We make that quite clear to them. So that's how we integrate with the LDs and the cameras as well. So there's no extra work for the fleets at all. We make it obviously
0: very easy for them. And by the way, I seem to think maybe it was progressive had that thing you could put in your car and I don't know if it still exists where you can be a better driver. Yeah. Snapshot. And it's kind of similar to that, except they don't need to put in, or do they need to put in a, do they need to plug in something into the system?
1: No, because they already have the LD in the truck.
0: Right. They're okay. I, so yeah, it's so. interesting that snapshot. I I remember th- I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to do that. I'm a good driver, and then um, I did get it, and I I didn't get any savings. And I was thinking, you know what? I, I do speed a little bit here and there, and I I, I started thinking, no, I'm, not, I'm get rid of it. I took it and sent it back. But if I had a fleet of trucks, I would want to know that my trucks are are being safe. Now let me ask another question, Chuck. You mentioned Chicago. Chicago is a big trucking hub. So you've got a whole bunch of trucks coming out of Chicago going all, all over the place if you're a trucking company. Are there some highways that are safer uh, or I should say have fewer traffic accidents than than other expressways? And do you guys take that into account or are you able to?
1: Certainly, there there are routes that are that are busier and probably more prone to accidents and such, and we take that into account. But it's important to know that that the, the product structure is when we give you your initial price, right, which is very competitive, and that's what you start your policy with. It'll never go up from there; it can only go down, right? So that's important because you know fleets want that; they don't want to to think that they're yeah. You need, you need you predictability. More than, you know, this is a hard they need biz, <laughs> and they need, they need to be able to budget, and they need to know that that's not going to go up. And so that's the way that we've structured the product. But yeah, different different attributes out there, you know, show that some fleets are safer or not. And again, we um, if a fleet's not as safe as it could be and not earning its full discount, we'll coach them and turn them into a fleet. Um, our, our, our objective is to turn them into a fleet that is earning much of that discount as they can. Like I said, that's that's a big core reason that
0: we exist. You also mentioned cameras. How, does, how do you collect the information from cameras? What are you doing with that?
1: Yeah, so, you know, the cameras, um, we... Have the camera uh, data available so that we – a lot of that is, is related to if there uh, is an accident or a potential accident out there, then we'll be able to look at the camera data. And that is very, very helpful to the fleet and to us into assessing what went on in that accident and, and who was at fault and you know the driving that led up to it and such, so that we can better work with the fleet to, to take care of that claim. If there's any potential liability, then certainly to address that. It's better for the fleet. It's better for the third party who may have been involved in, in the accident and such to, to to be able to do that um, and react much quicker versus a long drawn out process of questions and interviews and what really happened and one person said one thing, another person said another thing. Creates a lot of static and a lot of friction in the claims handling process and a lot of inefficiency and a lot of cost for everybody. That with the data, not just the camera data, but but other you know the other data that we have that that we can really improve on and we do improve on. And so far, the fleets really, uh, really appreciate that and like it.
0: You brought us into accidents, and I want to talk a little bit about. First off, talk about nuclear verdicts, and because that that it hasn't been lately, but I do know it's still an issue. It's not going away, and I think it's incumbent upon the trucking industry. We're not always to blame for this prop these problems, but I think what happens oftentimes is when, when there's a trucking company seven states away, and their driver is in an accident, and uh, somebody's injured or killed. Or significant damage, they're a, just a, a big company somewhere else, and somebody. And then there's this sense that, well, we know, we all know this guy. He lives in our little small town, and when it goes to court, it's the big bad corporation against uh, this poor family that suffered a loss.
1: So, so certainly, you know, one one of the core statistics out there, which is another component of why we started the company, is you know, when trucks and cars you know get in accidents with each other 80% of the time it's it's generally the car's fault right um cars don't do a great job maneuvering around trucks and, and such right but trucks so even though 80% of the time generally speaking it's the cars that's at fault in some way the trucks are the ones that get blamed 80% of the time because again they have their companies they're not people right? They're not individuals. They're, they're companies of individuals, but that gets lost very quick in the process, right? That detail. They have high policy limits. They're larger corporations. They have a lot of assets that sit behind the truck and in the insurance policy. And so they're a target for uh, the litigation bar out there. Right, and so there is the concept of, of of nuclear verdicts, and that's a real thing out there. And in in, in in part and parcel to that is it, it, just it's Please just explain jury. what
0: nuclear verdict is, because not everyone knows. Uh, listening to the podcast, yeah.
1: So a nuclear verdict is really is really a, uh, is really a, a trucking liability, trucking company liability concept that's associated mostly with the larger companies, right there's a couple components to it, which is, you know, there, there's a, there's an accident out there where somebody's injured. Generally somebody's either injured badly or, 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 um, or killed. And they go after the trucking company for, you know, tens of millions and, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars sometimes. And, you know, that's often put in, you know, the part of that award is that, you know, a punitive award um, because to teach a trucking company, a lesson. And there's been some pretty spectacular um, examples out there of, where the trucking company was either, was really a stretch to establish that the trucking company was liable and such, but it was established and that opened up this, you know, this huge jury awards, right? So, but part and parcel to that in the smaller trucking business is just, is just jury verdict inflation, or they call it social inflation in, in, the, in the court system. And that is an accident where somebody is not injured very much at all, or may not really be injured, that, you know, would, would, is probably, you know, something where an award of $25,000, for example, is, 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 is appropriate. There's a 250 or $500,000 award given, right? Because, you know, because everybody knows the insurance company, that the trucking company has a large dollar policy and such. So that's a real, there, are, there are two different uh, versions of the same basic concept, which is the plaintiff bar has found its way into trucking. We're, we're a big target of theirs. Med now has been medical malpractice practice has been reformed significantly. Insurance or or shareholder litigation has been um, reformed uh, significantly. That, those used to be huge targets for the plaintiff bar. Now asbestos is all dried up, right? All the money's been taken out of asbestos litigation. So now there are a lot of them are pointed at the uh, trucking insurance companies and in the trucking industry because that's where dollars are and so but to to the point you know that's one of the reasons that we started uh h d v i because how do you combat that right? It's with better data, it's with better technology, it's with cameras, so that you really know what went on right, and you can make that clear statement, and it just helps in all kinds of ways to
0: to to combat that yep and by the way i i I remember I had somebody on my podcast years ago when we talked about nuclear verdicts, and he worked for another insurance company, but I think he said that there was sometimes. Investors and family offices that were getting behind um, people who might have been injured in, a, in, a, in an accident. Now, I mentioned it to a friend of mine here in Michigan. He said, "Yeah, that's not legal." But maybe he goes, "Maybe it's legal in other states, but here it's not legal to back that." But what that the, the result was, I don't settle for fifty or hundred thousand dollars. I say we're going to go to court because I look like a, a pathetic victim. And it goes and settles for $4 million. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm not against anybody getting what they deserve. And you know, that's why we have our courts. But from what he also mentioned, this, uh, and I'm sure you would say the same, a lot of times the trucking companies were losing these because they didn't have a camera in their car. So they couldn't prove that they weren't at fault. And as you said, we're only at fault in about 20% of these accidents. Also, sometimes they had bad data. On their training or on their truck maintenance, and and lawyers were able to portray this trucking company as not doing the right things because they couldn't show the documents that that talked about the training or the safety requirements weren't being met. You know because they didn't go to a meeting or something. So there's it's not just uh, it's not just the accident. It's all of the dimension, the data behind the trucking company is a big part of that. So how do you guys get into that?
1: Yeah, it gets brought into it. Yeah. And I appreciate the question. So, you know, we, we help, we help the fleets not, you know, with guidance, not just on safety, but, uh, you know, on compliance and, and these other aspects of it and such, how to, how to address roadside inspections and other, in other things uh, and, and such to, to help them improve their operations, right? We don't we don't run their companies for them. We don't want to do that. They don't want us to do that. We don't manage their drivers for them or pretend to. We don't want to do that. and They don't want us to do that. We want to help the companies themselves and the folks that run the companies better understand the risks out there, how their drivers are performing, so they can take the action that they want to take. We don't require them to take any action. They take the action that they want to take. Based on the data and the, and the coaching that we provide them, and to run their business accordingly. So, and that that's an equally um, important dynamic with us and the fleets that we work with. We're not there to run the business for them. They don't want us to. We don't want to. We're there to help them, right, and provide them with some additional uh, data and support.
0: Yeah, you mentioned you know the data and support. One of the things that as soon as somebody says digital platform, and yeah, I know you guys are still relatively new. I can't. If I would imagine, if I talk to you in five years, you would say we can give. We can give. So much more uh, guidance on what what we paid out on, and the companies, the profile of those companies, and you guys will be able to make better decisions. But not only make better decisions, but also advise people and say, hey, the companies that don't do the following end up sued this much more, thirty percent more, twenty percent more. And that's, I think, this is the great thing about the more customers you get. The more data you have, the more insights you'll be able to provide us. And it's the same. It's the same story over and over again. Every time I have some of my podcasts is digital platforms, three, four years old are fantastic, but I can't imagine what we're going to be when they're eight or 10 years old. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, it really does empower, the, empower power the business and add a lot to it. And when you have a digital platform and you can really ingest data from a lot of different sources, look at it, analyze it, it helps even now because you know we have our own set of data, oh, yeah. but we can also ingest third-party data, other sets of data. Oh, and, okay. And put that into the mix to get smarter, faster, so we can bring that kind of value earlier to our fleets and our other partners right? that we insure and our other partners in our business. And then obviously, certainly the more driving miles of our fleets, the more the more fleets, the more drivers. Uh, then the smarter we get off that data as well. So there's ways to even accelerate that past just your own learning, and, and we really focus on that.
0: Before we hit record, you were telling me the big, the big three that you you uh kind of hammer home when you're talking to people. What are those big three things that you guys do?
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's nice to have a, a value proposition to get it across clearly um, so people can remember it. So you know, with HDVI, it's about savings, right? It's about service. We like that. It's about safety. (laughs) Right. Savings is important. We want to have, we have a very competitive product. Again, I won't go through shift again, but we have a very competitive product. And on top of that competitive price, you can earn up to a 12% discount based on your safe driving, which again, we invest a lot of money in our core technology and people so that we can help you become safer. Right. So savings, very important, right? Fleets fleets want to have a, a cost-efficient insurance solution that brings a lot more value. need it in this biz. <laughs> right. Service. We got to be there, right? When you have a claim, we got to be there to pay the claim, to handle it very, very efficiently. And the other things, right? We have a fleet services team that will work with the fleets to, to help them understand how their drivers are driving, provide them recommendations on how to coach, and all of that stuff, again, as, as, as recommendations, not running the company form. So service in a lot of different ways. And then certainly safety. It's all about. How can we help you become safer? Right. And you know, beyond the savings, just operational efficiencies that drive your drive efficiency and, and, and through the rest of your business as well with the with the additional data that we can bring in and such too. So really, you know, savings, service, and safety along along a lot of different lines.
0: So I love it. I love it. So Chuck, I want to wrap this bad boy up. Before we wrap that up though, I want to answer in any order you want. What's next for you? Sure. What's next for HDM HDVI? And what's next for the uh, insurance biz as it relates to trucking?
1: Right, well, what's next for me is easy, right? They're all easy questions, but what's next for me is, is to continue to build HDVI into a uh, very successful company. Uh, we think there's a huge opportunity to build HDVI into a true leader in the commercial auto space and the trucking, trucking insurance space and with that bring a lot more value even more than we're bringing now to the fleets and the partners that we work with so that's uh that's that's what i'm up to for for the foreseeable future with hdvi you know we're out with shift It's the first version of shift 1.0 our core insurance product behavioral based insurance product we're going to come out with a second version of that shift 2.0 very quickly which is is going to have uh even more positive product attributes to it i don't want to announce it yet um, we'll save that for a later date, but we got a lot going on there that our fleets and the agents that we work with are really going to like, you know, additional services we're bringing in. We're in about 15 states now, generally up and down the middle of the United States. We're going to be in about 24 by the end of this year. We'll be in another 10 uh, by the end of next year. So we're expanding across the country. You know, we have a big focus that we haven't really mentioned yet, but we have a big focus on how can we make it easy for our core business partners to work with us. Agents right? Agents want to be able to get information to us quicker, get quotes back quicker, buying policies quicker. We're very, very focused on that part of our business as well. So we've got a lot rolling out on that front uh, as well as other key partners. We place a lot of value on our agency partners, our insurance agent partners, the ones that, that focus with the fleets to bring in their insurance. We value them highly. We put a lot of work into those partnerships and they're very important to us. And we continue to invest heavily, technology and other ways wise, into those partnerships. So that's a little bit about what's on the horizon for HDVI. So where can you find us, right? Certainly, if you want more information, you're a fleet out there that wants insurance from HDVI. send us a send us an um, email to info, info at HDBI.com.
0: Yeah, I'll make sure to put a link to your website and a link to your LinkedIn profile. And any other marketing asset links you give me. And so you can, those be in the show notes so you guys can check out. And, and by the way, thank you for staying beyond the, our allotted time. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> Are you guys at conferences? Can we see it? Freightways? Can we yeah. see it? Manifest? Uh, wh- wh- where do you guys go?
1: So we're really focused on the state trucking association conferences. Tennessee is one that's coming up here, on September 18th through the 20th. We'll be there. And we'll be at all, all you know, generally speaking, we're going to be at. The state trucking association conferences as they roll through in the states that we're in, right? Um, we're an insurance company, so we're going to be at InsurTech Connect 2022 in Vegas coming up here. MCIF is, there's a lot of agents that go to MCIF. Motor what is Carrier, that? And, and it's the Motor um, Carrier Insurance Education Foundation. Um, it's a great organization and, uh, great folks running it. It's got a conference if coming up. If you give me Orlando, that link,
0: I'll put it in the notes. Yeah. We'll put that <laughs> in the link too.
1: Yeah. T- yeah. Tommy worker runs that. We'll be happy to for that. And we'll be at the American Trucking Association conference down in San Diego. You know, that focuses on a little bit bigger fleets, but we'll be there too. But really it's, you know, it's those kind of conferences. It's the conferences that our target markets are going to be at the target fleets, trucking associated conferences and such. So. I didn't ask, and I meant to earlier, who's your sweet spot? Who do you guys work with best? Right now, we focus on fleets of five vehicles to about 250 vehicles, right? With a particular sweet spot within that in, the, you know, five to 150 range and such. So, um, but we can write, and we are starting to write um, the larger fleets as well. We bring a lot of value to them too. They have a few different kind of product attributes they want to see, but that that is the sweet spot.
0: And- We didn't touch on it, but I I know we wanted to, is there's four types of insurance that trucking companies get. Talk about those four real quick before we wrap it up. Yeah.
1: Before I talk about that, my my, my co-founder and my marketing folks would be upset with me if I don't say that we will also expand into larger fleets in the near future and down into the uh, owner-operators, which is the one-to-fours. That's a huge market. We love that market, and we're looking forward to bringing all all of our value to those, those smaller businesses too. So stay tuned for that. The four kind of core policy coverages that we bring are liability, right? Coverage, cargo coverage and physical damage covers and, and truckers, general liability. We have a bunch of, we have a number of other product attributes um, that are distinct within those and everything, but those are the big four coverages.
0: Auto, auto liability, the, the liability, auto- damage, cargo in general and general is for like managing.
1: Yeah. Auto liability. Auto physical damage, commercial auto liability, commercial auto physical damage, cargo, obviously, for what's being hauled and back and truckers general liability. Excellent. Excellent. Well,
0: Chuck, I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing us sharing with what you guys are up to. I love what you're doing because my sense is all these all the companies that I talk to that are collecting data. We think that we're real modern today, but I'm old enough to know that I look back five years ago and wonder how we survived. Right? And so we know five, 10 years from now, how much more data. And that data is just helping us avoid accidents, write better policies, save money, do things faster, better, cheaper, which is what we're all looking to do. So yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time. And this is a uh, long overdue that somebody jump in and uh streamline this biz.
1: Yeah, well, Joe, we appreciate you having myself and HDVI on and listen to the the folks listening out there, your fleets or other folks out in the logistics space. You don't have to think of insurance 24-7, right, to love HDVI, right? And you don't think about insurance 24-7. You probably don't think about insurance very much, but it's something you got to buy. And when you buy it, you should buy the best product out there, something that brings you a lot more value, help you save money. And that's where we come in. So. It doesn't offend us that you don't think about insurance all the time. And it's not the t- it's not what you talk about at social at, at cocktail parties. You know. But uh, when it's time to think about it, think about us. We'll be here
0: for you and we're looking forward to working with you. Thank you so much, Chuck. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time. Onward and upward.